This podcast is created for farmers and powered by Pioneer Agronomy to bring you agronomic insights and proven solutions to fuel forward-thinking farming. Howdy, folks, and welcome to another edition of the Indiana Pioneer Agronomy podcast. I'm Carl Jorn, field agronomist in northwest Indiana, uh, joined as always by my co-host, Brian Schrader in northeast Indiana. Brian, how are you today? Very good, Carl. Good to be here. Good deal. So as you all remember, we've been working our way around the state, kind of giving a harvest preview. And as we're recording after Labor Day here, a lot of folks have um, considered getting started or as you're further to the south already have gotten started. So um, this podcast will go out on Wednesday the 8th as we're recording here the morning of the 7th. Uh, so as we're working our way around the state, we're heading to my neck of the woods in northwest Indiana. Uh, you guys would remember Ryan Peel just due to my south and Brian Early just due to my east. So we're going to have the dueling Brian's this morning, um, but shouldn't be confusing. Their voices are different enough that everybody should be able to pick out who's talking. So, uh, fellas, where do you want to start today? There's there's a lot of agronomy topics. Um, there's a lot of corn that's either matured or is getting darn close to reaching maturation. Soybeans are turning like the Dickens. Um, maybe we start things off with the most popular question over the last week for me uh, is uh, final irrigation timing. When should I, when should I shut off the pivot? Well, Carl, seeing Tom smack dab in the irrigation belt, I guess I'll take that one. Um, so both crops are on their final reproductive stage. And uh, this is it's fairly easy to remember what crops need. So an inch for each crop during that final stage, which each stage on them is a week to week and a half in that time period. So uh, you really just need an inch to finish everything out. So that means uh, corn is drying down, but you peel the, the tip of the kernels off and they're not black layered. You still need an inch from them and soybeans where the leaves are all yellow uh and getting ready to fall off those still need an inch as well so you need to irrigate longer than most people want to uh, that's spot on you know as the as the both crops look as if they're dying or reaching maturity a lot of folks figure well i i made it past peak consumption use so i don't need to to keep it watered but boy a year like this where if everything came together for one of your fields you don't want to you know short yourself at this critical final stages so make sure that you keep that soil profile, not necessarily full, but that we've got adequate access to water. I know that we've had spotty precipitation events. So some folks have caught three inches here over the last couple of weeks, whereas others have gone without and they've got their pivots running. So, so yeah, don't, don't run yourself short. Um, let's see, Ryan Peel, how are things looking in your area? I know that you probably have started harvest a little sooner than a lot of my guys have. How, how are things coming in? How are things looking? Yeah, so we, we've had some soybeans and some corn harvested across my geography. And, you know, soybeans are, they're very, uh, they're better than I expected. They're very um, average. They're not what they've been the last two years thus far. Now, we, we've been in some pretty early soybeans. We've in some mid to late group ones, basically, is what we've been into. I think there's probably been some group twos cut. I've not heard too many stories on those yet, but Soybeans have been, they've been good. They've been pleasantly surprising. I had wondered there for a while with the severe drought, we felt like we were really getting into if we would hardly make 50 bushel beans in places, but they've been better than I thought they would have been. Um, As far as corn goes, I've heard just a little bit of corn harvested and it was really good. Thus far, Mm -hmm. the corn, corn I've heard has been really good. 
and, and so we'll we'll see how that progresses throughout the year. But you know, on, on back up on the soybeans, and I, and I'll say that the earlys have been they, they've been pretty decent. What what concerns me a little bit is what these later group twos are going to do. I think they may, may be the ones that really got hit the most by the lack of precipitation that we had there early, just in that pod fill. It seems like we're definitely getting some um, pod abortion in there, and seed size is really shrinking up significantly. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where they go. My 50 bushel beans may not be too far away mm -hmm. in, in some of those, but um, – you know, we're, we're not into those yet, so we'll see. We got some two sixes that are going to be – there may be some two sixes cut. If not here, pretty soon there will be some 2.6 maturity beans cut. It makes us to see where they come in, though. Sure. Now, Schrader, that kind of aligns with what we've been uh, postulating this whole growing season. We said it sure seems like corn's come together nice, but we really put beans through some – some uh, challenging situations, whether it was, uh, you know, gratuitous amounts of rainfall uh, where we were ponded over and, and we uh, didn't have our, our nodules really doing their job of fixating nitrogen. So we had this big lag in terms of supplying the plant with enough feed. Um, or as Ryan was saying, as we got towards the end of the growing season here, and as we're trying to uh, see how many, you know, pods we can either commit to or how big a seeds we can make if, if we were missing out on that soil moisture, missed out on a few of those rainfall patterns. That's where a lot of our, a lot of our, uh, you know, uh, final yield is going to come from. So kind of catching it on both ends there. Would you say that that's in alignment with what you're seeing over East? I think so. I, the big thing for us, I believe, is going to be the seed size. Uh, that's going to make or break us. We, we had a good rain event on the eastern side of the state. Really, the whole state got some rain uh, here before Labor Day uh, and varying amounts. But that's going to help, I think, on seed size. Uh, in my part of the world, pod sets what it's going to be at this point. And I think really where we're going to make yield is going to be on the size of those beans. Yes, that would be my question for you, Ryan, these beans that you're seeing that are coming in better than you expected. Do you think that's seed size or have you been able to hold on to some pods that you didn't expect to with the yield estimates that you were kind of giving yourself? Yeah, so I... I think a little bit of both, Brian. It seems like we held on to a few more pods of seed size. I haven't heard exactly where they're coming in at, but when when I had been out in some just a little bit before harvest, the seed size looked looked decent. It, it was very, I'm not going to say they were big, but they were very average. They weren't little BBs though. So, you okay. know, that's, that's what we're looking for is keeping them average at best. Sure. And early, you, you may be like me, maybe you're just as far ahead as Ryan is, but I've got a lot of beans that are still kind of at that full seed stage where we're, you know, we're kind of at peak water use and we're just beginning to kind of, you know, have the seeds pull away from the, um, you know, from the, from the pot itself. So they're beginning to kind of get closer to that R7 stage, but a lot of them are at that R6 stage where they've got a little ways to go yet before we're going to be cutting them. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Uh, my mid-group twos and what little bit early twos we've got are, uh, they could probably be harvested this week. Um, talking about seed size with them, I noticed on some of the mature pods, the, uh, the beans really rattled pretty good. So uh, we were extremely dry to finish out in a lot of areas. So it's it definitely is going to affect our seed size. And we kind of had that happen last year too. So um, I, I had real high expectations for beans. We had awesome seed set. Uh, they were potted close together. Uh, not necessarily a lot of seeds per pod, but I thought we 
the, just the way they were potted, I really thought we'd have outstanding yield. So irrigated beans will probably be exceptional, and uh, and dryland beans will probably be uh, pretty average, like kind of like we normally finish. Yeah, yeah, we we've had such an exceptionally dry uh, late summer yet again that it's got folks questioning. Well, should I even be raising soybeans just with the way that the weather pattern's been the last two three years? And and I would say there's a lot of merit to you know maintaining a good balanced crop rotation uh, just from a lot of agronomic benefits. Let alone where market prices have continued to be here uh, as of late. So I, I brought up oh, that yeah. uh, being at that peak seed weight. Uh, stage just because I've got a number of beans that have started to get a little lazy here where, you know, uh, we're beginning to shed some leaves, but maybe we had some pretty good lean to it up until that point. And that's pretty common. So most folks know that, that, you know, when the bean plants as big as it is and as weighty as it can be um, at that, you know, peak seed fill stage, that, that R6 stage with the butter beans, that's when it's going to be its fattest. And if you've got a little taller beans, they're going to begin to lean over, but very little, if any yield impact at that stage, it's, we get more concerned as we're beginning to set pods if we've got those soybeans lodging. So that, that final harvest um, standability is really what's most important as we uh, drop those leaves, those beans usually tend to stand back up and make for a nice easy combine cut so um let's see where do we want to take things next maybe uh talk a little bit brian early myself on uh where tar spot stands i still had airplanes going as of seven days ago um for that that you know what might feel like a rescue application for standability what what would you say the things look like on the ground in your area so, uh, so my area is, I've got two polar opposite worlds. So uh, you could divide mine at Highway 14, which is kind of 60 miles south of the, the Michigan state line. So um, I go about 30 miles further south from that. That area is really clean. So you'd be talking kind of the Kokomo area in there. There's, you can find tar spot on the corn, but it's definitely nothing. It's just pretty much cosmetic. Uh, you get north of Highway 14, where we had a lot of, really, we had the perfect growing season going. We actually had too much rain in some spots. And uh, the tar spot is, it's horrendous. It's worse than, than uh, the 2018 growing year, the year it really kicked off. So uh, the rain definitely, you can tell the rain definitely drove it. We were super cloudy, no doubt that probably had an impact as well. So um, we're going to have some pretty substantial yield hits, even on stuff we applied fungicide one time. I, I think we're going to have some pretty substantial yield hits. And uh, with that always comes down corn. That's the one thing with tar spot, you can about count on stuff lodging. So it, uh, it, it could be a very interesting harvest for us uh, it, up between the last 60 miles of Indiana and Michigan. Uh, good, uh, good information shared there, Brian. Uh, similar to my experience now, whereas we didn't have it as bad in 2018, it kind of petered out as we got closer to the I-65 corridor and west, whereas now it seems as if tar spot continues to make its way further south and a little further west in my geography where we haven't experienced it. So Peel's area one day may, may get the blessing of tar spot, but, but you nailed it. Uh, you know, even guys that thought they were being proactive, getting a fungicide out early, uh, tar spot moved in earlier than it ever has in my area before. So one might think that that uh, might've halted the infection spread, but really this is just a very enduring disease. And so if you, uh, if you only go out and spray it once, you, you might hit the pause button for two or three weeks, but there's still a lot of rain fill yet to go with that. 
at that stage. And so like, like early was saying, um, yeah, opportunities abound for, for improving the way that we manage this just cause, uh, as those leaves get, uh, all speckled up with the tar spot lesions, it's, you know, uh, less photosynthetic area, less energy that we can drive into the ear. And so we got to take it from the stocks and you guys know how this game goes, uh, riddler stocks, late, late harvest. It's not a good, good situation. So fortunately it looks like corn harvest is going to start up a little earlier than, than normal. Um, so that, that is one blessing to this growing season. Um, but, but with that, uh, Brian, any other thoughts to share on, on that subject or, or maybe we should, yeah. Yeah. Ahead. So I, you know, every year we're looking to learn something new about it since we've only had it. This is our fourth year. So, uh, you know, I think the big takeaway for me this year, and I think why we have it so bad is we did a good job getting it on timely. You know, our, I guess I should say it was it was for the amount of acres because pretty much most of the acres in northern Indiana got sprayed. So, um, you know, it's, the planes were drug out. But what I see routinely in the field is we did a good job from the ear leaf up where the planes hit it. The fungicides did their job. You know, I can only expect them to hang around two and a half, three weeks. They did that. I think where we're missing the mark is the tar spot was so heavy in that lower canopy that those spores are down there or those lesions are down there popping up spores all the time. And once that fungicide started to play out, you know, all them spores, they were just pumping spores all day long up there on the top. So as soon as that three weeks was passed, then it started to build up so rapidly again. I think that's why we got so many fields checking out so early. So we're pretty much down now to uh, all the fungicides have wore off. And it's just back to variety tolerance again. So you're seeing the variety differences show up. So uh, maybe in years uh, going forward or in years coming up, we're going to have to uh, think about some kind of control early on. So probably something pre-tassel. Okay. Yeah. Now, how, how much pre-tassel, Brian, are, are you thinking about? Are we just talking about right at ear set or are you thinking earlier in the vegetative stages? A couple of weeks, though, you know, my thoughts are, you know, cost wise, I mean, this year, it's pretty easy to justify too. you've got the, the financial benefit there to do it. But, uh, you know, you may have to go cheap with a ground rig up front. And that would be something you could do when it's shoulder high, you know, maybe a couple of leaves or one leaf away from tassel, and then uh, shove your plane application back into that blister stage, or maybe even early milk. So kind of like we do with soybean herbicides, I'm wondering if we need to go pre-tassel and then just come back at 30 days and put another one on. I actually have a couple fields where we did that. They are amazingly clean. So I, I've seen it work in past years and I've seen it in a couple instances already this year where it really seems to be the key to, to keeping it clean, keeping that plant clean. But you got to get those bottom leaves coated early on and keep that pressure down. Uh, it's just it, you know, starting on the preventative side of things as opposed to just wait till you see it and then then lean on the curative part of our uh, of our dual mode of action or you know triple mode of action product. So glad glad to hear Brian that you've got experience doing that because it's always tough to go out on a limb when you know that's going to be adding an extra cost for a guy and not seeing it proven out. So so yeah, it sounds like a good takeaway. So as we get into later corn as we get into harvest and as corn begins to dry down one popular subject uh, that comes about you know usually in about oh I don't know a month from now is a phantom yield loss and that concept that my corn's you know it's matured and as I'm drying down as I scale down in moisture it seems as if I'm losing bushels at a faster rate than I would if I would have harvested the corn as it was wetter so what what are your guys thoughts on phantom yield loss it seems as if it 
it can be a debated topic, but there's also some good literature out there as well. You know, I'll, I'll make a comment. I know Brian's done a lot of work on this in the past, but I, I firmly believe phantom yield loss is real. We really see it every single year. Some years it's much worse than others. I think this year with the weather impacts we've had and the lack of precipitation across much of the area, I think it could be a little bit worse this year than what we've seen in the past. But like I said, Brian, I know has done a lot of work on that. So really anxious to hear what his thoughts are as well. The Purdue data, I think, suggested 1% loss for every point of moisture under 27 or 28%. So, you know, if you you could come up with 10% if you got down to 18. So that kind of mm -hmm. lines up with what I, I like to ask guys what they think in the field. And it's, you know, I don't get many farmers that say they don't think it happens. So it seems to be a pretty well proven phenomenon in, in my book or in my opinion. So, you know, I, I, I think that 1% is probably a pretty good number. So now the exactly why it happens or what happens, uh, that one's probably more up for debate. Uh, the uh, the most likely thing that I think I can buy into is that the kernels, even though they're black layered, can still respire and lose mm -hmm. things uh, through the pericarp, which makes sense because that's how they dry down. So I, I think I could buy into that. And I, I'm firmly convinced it happens. And you know, you, you go losing 10 bushel this year, you can pay for a lot of natural gas or LP to do that. Plus, then you put everything at risk with lodging, too. So there's a in my book, there's so much incentive to get this, get the corn out at that 25 to 20 percent moisture and, and try to forgo some of the problems you can run into and gain some bushels doing it. Oh, bingo. I think that, um, like you said, a good thing to remember is that 1% of yield for every point of moisture loss. And that's kind of a good way to, to remember the phantom yield loss concept. Um, you know, like, like you were saying, better to get the crop out and pay for some gas. Uh, you mitigate some of that, that uh, stock lodging risk or, or, you know, as, as harvest drags on and if we're in an area of tar spot or, you know, what, whatever, if it's gray leaf spot pressure that got away from us, um, you know, maintaining stock integrity is going to be a challenge in some of these areas where we where we didn't have the moisture that we really needed to finish out grain fill nicely. So as we're robbing from those stocks is coming out and getting the crop out a little earlier than normal is always going to be a good thing. And, and like Brian was saying, it's going to pay for itself more times than not. Brian, you have any thoughts to add on that subject? I agree with you guys. I do think that this thing is real. Um, I think that the other thing that I would add is that for a long time, we didn't know that this was going on, especially in the eastern part of the state, because historically folks were cutting their soybeans, then they were shelling their corn, they weren't going in. I mean, the way this started to show up and you started to hear about this was folks were starting to shell a cornfield, then they'd stop leave for a while, come back, and they'd realize that, you know, just in the next pass, there was a yield difference. That's really what got this thing going and got folks stirred up. And we see that a lot more. I agree with Brian completely that there are a lot of things beyond this phantom yield loss that make getting our corn harvested earlier uh, much more palatable, I guess is the way to put it. There's a lot of things going on that we need to think about beyond just the phantom yield loss. It just happens to be the way we're able to put a number on it and, and be able to see this 1%. Yeah, you know, I'll make another comment on that. <clears throat> I, I think this phantom yield loss varies by hybrid. I, I've seen that. I've seen some hybrids that we started early in the, in the season and got late in the season. That 1% number has went 
up quite a bit higher than that. We've seen 30 bushels we've lost throughout the season by, by weighting and then other hybrids don't seem to be quite as significant as that. I think that comes back to your really agronomic hybrids. In some cases, your really agronomic hybrids seem like they hold on to it a little bit better, don't lose as much from the phantom yield loss where some of the racehorse type hybrids seem like they might be, be a little more prone to, to lose a little bit more. So de definitely seeing that year in, year out. No, Ryan, that's interesting. I, as we were talking, I pulled up that Purdue study that Ryan early had cited and it was from work done at Purdue, you know, here in the West Lafayette Ag Center. And so uh, to your comment, 3394 back then, that was losing a point uh, or, you know, 1% for every, um, you know, point you lost in moisture. And then you look at a different hybrid, which before my time, so I don't recall this one, but 3245 was one that lost more. It was on the order of one and three tenths of a percent for every point lost in moisture. So yeah, there is some, some hybrid difference. And as I'm looking through the study here as well, it, it looks like there's some variability from year to year, but taking that you know, that rule of thumb on the average 1% of yield for every point in terms of uh, moisture dropping. That's, it's a good rule of thumb, if you will. Um, so as we kind of wrap up today's conversation, you know, we covered a lot of ground in terms of, uh, you know, how early bean returns are looking. We're, we expect to get into some corn here in short order. Um, touched a little bit on tar spot. Uh, we visited a little bit more on phantom yield loss, all these things to kind of prime the pump as guys get ready for harvest. Uh, a big concern of mine has been with this weather pattern. You know, we talked about the beans, how the nodulation slowed down with excess rainfall in July. My concern on corn is that we flushed a lot of the nitrogen uh, out of the profile. I had one trial where we doubled up our nitrogen application at side dress. You wouldn't have known it when you husked back ears this fall. So I think a lot of that stuff got flushed beneath the root zone. So my fear is that we're uh, going to be looking at some, some stocks that just did not get fed enough. And as we got that dry fall, I think you got this perfect storm, especially in tar spot areas where we've got a lot of exposure to stock integrity risk. Um, is any of that showing up in the field for you guys yet? Um, throw in the hazy days, the cloudy, you know, middle of July that we had. I, I know guys hate to hear this, but it's like you really got a lot of things all coming at coming to a head in terms of that stock integrity come this fall. Unfortunately, Carl, I'm yeah. glad you brought up the the <laughs> nitrogen part because I see that same thing. We had fields checking out, getting yellow three weeks ago, and I could see the differences in some of the people I know kind of shave rates and guys that really poured on. I mean, there was, it was so dramatically different from field to field. So I think you're spot on on the stocks, Robin, and because of lack of nitrogen disease on top of it. So that could be a big concern here. Uh, you know, any upcoming wins we got. Yeah. How about you, Ryan? Yeah, absolutely. Carl, we're starting to see some of that. We've seen some stock lodging out there. We had a few storms come through in the last couple of weeks and they're, they're the last few days of, August, I guess it was, and uh, did take some corn down, laid some over pretty good. Um, as I was out there making assessments and just looking at the corn that actually still looked good, those stalks are pretty weak. Um, you mentioned early, this is Tuesday, September 7th. There's a little, looks like a potential for a little storm that could come through this evening. So by the time this airs, there, there, there could be some more stock lodging out there. Depends on what these, this weather does, which we're going to we're going to hope for the best because we don't need to see any more. Um, 
but but you're right. I've I've been in several fields, and you know, you bring up the nitrogen comment, and, and I think you guys are spot on. I mean, everything is being robbed. Plus, where we were set up for a really good year. So I'll give you an mm -hmm. example. I had a a uh, field of dent corn, and there was multiple different companies out there, and that field was really really fed. We had some really high yield goals. And it still got some stock lodging out there. So, you know, okay. even ones that are fed that, you know, when you start increasing yield goals, we're still, we're still pulling those stocks down and really compromising those as well. So let's, let's, let's just keep this weather pattern calm here for the next 30, 60 days and let folks be aggressive with the combines and get stuff picked. And hopefully, you know, it'd be nice if LP would give us a little bit of a break. Cause I know that's yeah. uh, not helping guys want to get out there and really get running, but Picking down corn's not any fun. You're spot on. Um, you know, popcorn can be a bit of a harbinger for what's what's to come. And there's a lot of popcorn, you know, in the southern and eastern areas of my geography. And oh my gosh, there are some messy fields out there in terms of everything being lodged over every which way. So hopefully that's not what we're going to see in our in our number two dent, but um, remains to be seen. We've we've really got a lot of things that have come together to be less than ideal in terms of stock quality, but um, you know, the, the hybrids with the strongest stock quality often aren't, aren't going to be the ones that give you the most yield. So we shall see what, uh, what comes out this year. Uh, I know a lot of guys are excited about what their potential corn yields are. So, um, so should be an exciting fall. And like Ryan said, we'll just, we'll just pray for some, you know, some calm weather and, uh, get it out and everything will be standing good. So. Fellas, anything uh, remain to be said for the good of the cause? I know we covered a lot of ground here. Um, and I know we're just getting in. Uh, some guys might be just kicking things off or maybe another week or two away yet. Uh, anything that they should be mindful of as we, uh, you know, kick off harvest in Northwest Indiana? Uh, Carl, I don't think we hit most things today. I, I think on the corn, everybody should line up some storage space. I think it's, it could be surprisingly good to some people. Very good. Yep. Well, uh, I'd encourage everybody to really take their time, be safe out there. There's a lot of stuff happening. There's a lot of, you know, this gets scary these days. So please take time, be safe and take a little extra time to make sure you, you all make it home every night. You know, I think that's a good comment as, you know, school's back in session here for a month for some, a couple of weeks for others, you know, a lot of young kids out there that are still figuring out how to cross the road for the school bus. And I know everybody's going to be in a hurry uh, to get to the field. So just as you got traffic trying to flow around you, uh, just be be mindful of of uh, those folks that don't quite understand what a slow moving vehicle means on a on a county road. So. Uh, with that, fellas, um, if folks wanted to follow along with Harvest uh, in West Central Indiana or North Central Indiana, what's the best way for them to do so in terms of a Twitter social media of choice? Maybe we'll start with Mr. Early. Uh, I, I like to put stuff more so on Facebook than Twitter, but I do use both. And uh, you can get either place. You search for at bald agronomist and you will see my updates. Perfect. Thanks, Brian. And Ryan, how about you? Yep, I'm much more active on Twitter, and hopefully as Harvest gets gets underway, I'll get a little more active, but you can find me at Peel Ryan on Twitter. Awesome. And Brian, for the other side of the state in East Central Indiana? Yep, if you want to get a hold of me, you can get a hold of me at BK underscore Schrader on uh, Twitter or B underscore K underscore Schrader on Instagram. 
Awesome. And if you want to see what's happening in the far northwest corner of the state, uh, you can follow me at Cjorn. Well, thanks, everybody, for your time. Uh, as Peel said, be safe this harvest. Please let us know uh, how things are coming off. This is our favorite time of year as we get to see the, the fruits of all of your labor and uh, hope everything comes together well. And we will see you, talk to you next episode. Thank you for listening to this episode from the Pioneer Agronomy Team. Be sure to visit pioneer.com backslash podcasts to access additional episodes and learn more about our extensive on-farm data and innovative digital tools that are fueling forward-thinking farming.